So, thank you so much. You guys can sit down. I, I never get nervous until Bill compliments, compliments me and then I can't talk anymore. I'm like, he just said that about me. This is like the person I learned the most from. So, I really appreciate it, Bill. I don't have any idolatry towards you, but it's close. And, um, you know, it's, it's close. Uh, I'm going to actually invite my wife to come up. She's going to share some things with you. This is Cherie. Come on up, honey. So I have, a, yeah, I have a joke in our household. I have three really powerful women. I have Cherie, who's my CEO, Harper, who's my CFO, and Hartley, our little nine-month-old, who will probably run the whole thing one day. We're not sure. But uh, my wife's going to share some things about our contest and product. Yeah. So the funny thing about working together, because Sean and I work together, we're married and we work together. And it's really funny because I birth all these projects with him, the books and you know resources. And so he's so humble and so gracious, but seriously so humble that he almost understates stuff. And I'm like, no, give attention to it. It's amazing. You, it's like seriously a gift to people, a gift to the church. And I get rocked and everyone that I know loves it. So don't just be like, oh, rush through. Okay, just give it away. I'm like, talk about it. So he's like, do you want to talk about it? I said, yes, I do. So here we are. Let's talk about it. Okay. So, um, talk about this first. So something happened because we work together. Thank you. Um, we were sitting down at a little meeting with our publisher and, um, you can just go sit down. (laughs) Is there someone named John? I'm just kidding. All right. All right. All right. Okay, I'll get serious now. No, but we're seriously, we're having a, a meeting with our publisher and um, working with my husband, who's an amazing visionary, super inspired. And I would say I'm, I'm similar, but I'm the feasibility piece, right? I'm the like gauntlet of like, how are we going to do that? So anyways, we're having a meeting with our, with our publisher and we were talking about this book, And as it goes, we start talking about a whole bunch of other things. So we start talking about Keys to Heaven's Economy. And Sean goes, we should republish that and do the 10-year anniversary of the book. Because so much has happened. I kind of want to share the update of, you know, what's happened with it and just sort of add a little bit to it. So feasibility. I go, wait a second. We're getting ready to launch this and some other stuff. Can we do it? He's like, yeah, we can do it. It's fine. It's just like a quick chapter. You know, it'll be great. So we're like, okay. Great. So he sits down to rewrite, you know, just add one chapter to uh, Keys to Heaven's Economy, gets so inspired by the message again and just going through it that he ends up basically writing a second book. He comes out on a lunch break in the kitchen. He goes, I'm just getting so inspired. I'm getting so much stuff. It's probably going to go over a chapter. And like a day later, he said, I just wrote another book. And we're like, okay. So he wrote another book. We said, you know what? That's amazing. Let's just give it to him for free. So if they buy the, you know, the 10 year anniversary, we'll give the, um, the eight keys to kingdoms resources, which is the ebook. So that's free. If you buy the, the 10 year. So it's seriously incredibly inspiring. And, you know, we're people who have like huge, huge visions. So we genuinely want to be like Solomon in the sense of there's really no parameters on our resources, people, money, all that we, as Christians, we should truly be some of the most powerful and resourceful people just to get it done for God, right? So this book seriously teaches you how to get it, get it done and like really get that perspective, like break any poverty you would have over your resources or your calling. And then the eight keys is like super practical and awesomely inspirational. So 
You nailed it. So that's number one. Am I doing okay? Should this be my new job? Okay. Um, Book two. Um, So this was the one that we started working on. Again, in the same meeting, we start getting super inspired. And we start talking about this, the book, Translating God. And this book is just seriously, my mom said this morning, it was so cute. She goes, I finished Sean's book. And you know what? She goes, it's like going on an adventure. And I was like, that's so sweet. I said to Sean, I go, oh, love that. But this book, I've read a lot of incredible prophetic books. And I, I can say that um, Translating God is, has this perspective and um, just these, these heart stories that just wreck you. It's just seriously so encouraging and just really brings a lot of transformation even to me. So I just want to completely brag um, on Translating God. Um, and again, in the midst of that, what started out as one project, we actually turned it into like a study course as well. Um, this is not available um, for release until uh, November 12th, except at Open Heaven. So we rushed this for you guys. We have, I think, like 300. So race to the, you know, to the bookstore and get them. Sean will be doing the, um, the signing afterwards. Um, but we are doing a contest that you can win um, all of Sean's books. Um, so do you guys have the slide for that? Okay, so professional. Now, I will admit to you guys, I am his wife and like the CFO, project manager, all that fun stuff, and I messed this up yesterday. Did anyone else mess this up yesterday? Okay, cup, well, wow, I feel really bad now. You guys are way better at this than me. So you text 22828, and you just write one word, translating God, no spaces, and send. And then it'll give you the directions, and you'll be entered for the contest. Um, when you enter your email after, but just translating God to 22828, but wait, there's more. Just kidding. That's done. I'm done. So bless you guys. Oh, wait, I want to give this one away. Sean's going to be, be using this one. So well, how should we do this? Um, all right, just, right, great. Here you go. Bless you. Thanks for letting us be here, you guys. We love you. So awesome. There goes the beauty of the meeting. How do I get anything done? Right? She's amazing. Uh, these guys used to wonder who I was going to marry. Like, I would, I think Chris, Chris isn't here, so I'll tell a naughty story on Chris. Chris was like, he would point at different women in Bethel and go, what about her? And he'd tell me all about them. And like, it was like six years ago, you know, like, what about her? What about her? And everybody was wondering, who will he end up marrying? And I married a stand-up comedian who's my best friend, who's hot. So that's like a perfect combination. And uh, that's Sheree. And she's also one of my favorite women speakers in the world, which is awesome. She just, the way she shares and brings out personal empowerment is just so fun. So anyways, bragging on my wife. She bragged on me, so I have to talk about her for a minute. Uh, I'm, I'm really wrecked by the testimonies today, too. That was like such a good segment for 30 minutes. I was like, Joaquin, do you just want to teach for the rest of the day? Would that, I mean, that was awesome. And I'm just thinking about like, just what God's doing here already. And, and I think it is significant that we're having an open heavens conference and talking about the prophetic. And, and I, I d- unashamedly didn't want to change the subject from the prophetic. And I don't always teach on the prophetic, but I don't, I don't want to change the subject because I believe to access the open heavens, we just have to be God's friends. And to be God's friends, there's communication. And what I love about mature communication is that the more you get to know each other, the less words you need. Isn't that nice? Once you really know each other, you don't have to say too much to communicate. 
And a lot of us are looking for so much verbal affirmation from God when he's already given us so much cultural affirmation to, from his heart to ours. And once we learn how to discern it, I actually don't hear as much as I used to. It's really weird. I don't even discern or see or whatever as much as I used to, but I'm way more confident and I'm way more fulfilled by what I do get. As a matter of fact, all this stuff that's like just uh, where it took God so much to express himself to me is gone now in a lot of ways, which is so beautiful because have you ever been with somebody who you're getting to know and you had to get too much foundation to even, like you got tired from hearing their story, but you love them? And so, like, I feel like I've worn God out with trying to give him foundation for, but this is who I really am, you know. And I feel like the more you get to know God, the less uh, conversation you need, the less words and and verbal you need, the more you're just intuitive. And so we're going to talk a little bit about translating God today, not uh, just because I released a book, but because I believe it's the key to the open heaven and or to opening up the heavens and uh, the key to the open heaven. I like that. Um, But I just wanted to ask, is is Josh Baldwin still around? Did he have to go right after is he still here? Could you grab him real fast? I, I've known Josh for forever, and I just want to say something to him. And then um, they just—they're going to go get him. He's—I think he's out in the back hallway. Uh, I just, besides hugging him, I just want to say hi to him, and also have a little prophetic word for him, which is good, um, or a big prophetic word for him. It could change his life. We never know. You never know. Jesus is good. Uh, wow! Did you guys practice the prophetic? How many of you practiced? How many of you it didn't work out? Woo! How many of you it did work out? Woo! You both get A's. Yes. The only time you don't get A's when you're practicing is if it's 20 years later and you're still failing, but, and you're being weird and afflicting people. That's the only time you don't get an A anymore. But if you're like in your first five years, you can like fall on your face all the time. It's sweet to Jesus, you know, but Eventually, you have to learn, like, this, is, this part's not working for him. I'm going to try something else. I had a woman come up to me, and she said, um, I tried, I tried. I went up to these people, and they've been barren forever, and I told them they were going to get pregnant, and when they were going to get pregnant, it didn't work, and now I'm devastated, and I don't hear from God. And I was like, you tried with, like, the highest stakes thing you could pick. <laughs> like, why would you ever do that? Like, I don't even do that. Like, why would you do that? Why don't you just go up to somebody and say, is your favorite color red? Like, <laughs> like, like start with the lowest stakes possible. Like, just uh so you don't kill your heart, you know? I would, my heart would die if that was my first time. You're going to get pregnant. And they're like, we didn't get pregnant. I would never prophesy again because of my, you know, lack of emotional intelligence of even going after setting goals for myself. So start out like, you know, baby steps. Baby steps, lower stakes, you know. I'm not saying God will, will, won't make more than baby steps out of it, but just start out with baby steps and give yourself a lot of encouragement with that. Okay, we're still... Oh, hi, Josh. Come on up. I'm like, where? Is he up there? No. Come on up here. Again, you're used to the stage. Come on. I'm so glad to see you. So I didn't know you moved here. Let's all just put your hand towards him. I'm just going to pray for you real fast. I had that word at Robin's church, and you weren't there. That was crazy. I went over to Robin McMillan's church where he just came from not too long ago and had a little God scroll hit, and it was really fun. It was about you. But I saw this thing when you were leading worship yesterday. And I just want to pray to God, I pray, Lord, where uh, Josh, you've sent him here with a unique sound that won't be compromised, that is going to inject itself into the worship movement. And I kept seeing like Mumford and Sons, Mumford and Sons, but I heard Baldwin and Sons and Daughters. And I saw these pop-up worship festivals. They were like, I heard the word pop-up worship festival. I've never heard that in my life. And I feel like the Lord said, you're going to, he's going to send you to raise up sons and daughters around the nation, especially on the East Coast and the Southeast. 
He's going to send you, and you're going to do pop-up worship festival, something new. And then I saw a training curriculum coming out of you that's going to bring so much resource to you that you'll be able to raise up many. Like, I feel like the Lord's saying, because he wants to raise up many, because he wants to do something with many, I'm going to send him such great resource that you're, you'll be blessed. Your household will be so blessed, but you'll have so much to work with. So I bless over you, the, the Baldwin and sons and daughters. I bless over you the anointing to raise up sons and daughters. I thank you, God, that you sent him here because Bethel needs him. I thank you that you sent him here because there's a sound inside of him that that's, it's a raging water, and I pray that it would be released from such a cool, calm, collective guy who barely opens his mouth and he sings such a loud, loud sound. I pray, Lord, that you just release a raging water stream in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, man. I kept hearing it, and I kept seeing, like, you know, crazy instruments that I think you're going to bring a lot of instruments in that aren't usually used, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I saw you, like, grabbing hold of people that, in the South, I just saw Southern instruments. I saw, like, you know, banjos, and I saw, like, um, mandolins and stuff like that. I saw them coming in, and I saw certain sounds that needed to be released and go mainstream, and I feel like it's happening in, in natural culture already, but I feel like you're going to inject some things that uh, are missing, that the Lord's saying, you know a sound that has to be heard or it has to be played. It's going to be really good. Okay. God is good. I just, I'm going to look at, see if I have any other little prophetic notes because I, I can feel the swirl here. Paul, Paul kind of brought it when he was praying that we would be like changed. Um. As a matter of fact, Paul, I'll just say this. I don't know. Is your son's name James, your other son that I haven't met? And um, I don't know his wife's name, but it's like Anna or Amy or something. Amy, okay, so this is a God word of knowledge. And do they have two little boys? And when you were talking about them at the table, um, you talked about uh, them but didn't give us a lot of information, which was good. And I saw, um, I saw the Lord deploying something in his life um, in, the, in the near future. It's not, it's not immediate future, future, but the near future. And God's trained him through some sort of um, orchestration or orchestra by the Holy Spirit. Music director, is it like for women or something? What is it? High schools, okay. For, um, so the Lord's trained him through this. He's a music director, and I saw him. The Lord's been training him in this genre, in this area, but there's, some, there's a bigger dream that was in his heart. It's not as current right now, but it's current in God's heart. And, uh, and that doesn't mean it's negative, that it's not current. It's just he's enjoying life with two kids and whatever. But I saw the Lord deploying something that's on a grand scale in his life. And I felt like the Lord showed me that uh, even as the, the king and queen thing is changing in England, that there's another generation rising up and that your son is a representation of something that's coming into a new authority and placement during that season. And you guys are going to be sent to help usher in spiritual leaders into almost like a coronation or a commissioning all through Europe. I feel like something's going to happen when the queen steps out and this new king and queen step in, that something's going to happen where the Lord's saying, I'm using you to commission a new generation of people and you're going to be there to be in a significant way to help them understand it's happening. Because I feel like uh, if there's not mothers and fathers in place, it becomes an awkward transition. But when a mother and a father's in place to explain what's happening, even as there's such a majestic coronation process, like I watched the last coronation when you go in and you, you, know, you can see the whole thing. And, 
in, the, um, in lots of places. But I felt like the Lord said, you guys are going to help create an experience around the transition and the handoff. And there's, there's going to be many leaders. And I saw it, it wasn't just England, but over all of Europe. And I felt like the Lord said, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm setting some of your time apart in the near future and even rearranging things so that you can go and raise up. And it's not just about an apostolic movement. It's literally like a new power structure over Europe that you guys are going to find yourselves connected to lots of people who are connected to presidents. Lots of people are connected to like the geopolitical area, just like the United Nations. I see like all these infrastructures and internal structures that the Lord's going to release you to be connected to people that you're going to help transition into their greatness. And they'll remember you because something in it will cause them to pull you into their world later on. But they need a mother and a father to help transition them. So I feel like the Lord's saying, you asked, uh, or you told me you would go anywhere, and I've, I'm asking for your time and for some space in your lives to go there and do this. And it won't be full time, but it'll, be, uh, it'll take some time to do this. And a lot of it is just relational time to help explain God's heart to people in a very wisdom-based way that will help them to understand what they were made for. So I feel like the Lord's just saying, I've already put the wisdom in you. I've put the calling in you. You've been doing it at the church, but you're about to take the same type of wisdom gift that you have, and you're going to apply it to all of these Christians that are going to be outside of the church context. And it's going to create a new framework for what God's doing. And you're going to find yourself in about four or five countries. You'll feel like you're in the middle of all kinds of the country, the whole country's transition, because the people that God's placing you with to mentor for a season. Bless you guys. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. That's a fun governmental word. That's going to change a lot of stuff. Um, is, there, is there somebody who this makes sense to? It's 1511 Burns Road. Does that make sense to anybody here? 1511 Burns Road. You guys? What is that? Is that your home address? Where do you live? Oh, Spokane. That's where my parents are from. Well, they're moving right now, which is good for us, but sad for Spokane. Uh, they're moving down south, which is good. So... Um, uh, are you guys, there's a movie called Meet the Coopers. Are you guys the Coopers by chance? This is getting good. Thank God. Um, I wrote some notes I don't understand. So I'm just going to say, is December 8th something? Your daughter's birthday? And... Um, uh, did she go through something really traumatic in December last year? November? And I saw, like, God touching, like, three areas in her body, and she keeps going through, like, hits in her body, and it's really dramatic. And I felt like the Lord said, I want to heal your daughter. I'm going to touch your daughter. And it's, it's honestly been because there's such a great purpose on her life, and there's so much that she has just an ambition and a heart for. And it's like the storm before the breakthrough, the storm before the breakthrough. It's like the enemy saw what was about to happen in her life and tried to discourage her so much. And you've been such good parents to keep her hope alive. And so her Christmas got stolen last year. Like she just was, I don't know if she was held up or if it was a leg, it was a leg thing. She tore all of her ligaments in both of her legs, knees, feet. I'm getting there. I hear God, but I can't hear all of you. It's great. Uh, well, well, God, God, I mean, obviously, if God's calling this out on this level, it's because he wants to do a miracle on this level. So we just, everyone extend your faith. We pray. What's her name? 
Christina, okay. We pray over Christina right now, God, even if she's somewhere else. We stand in proxy as a whole room for her, that heaven would come and heal her, God. And thank you that her parents are here believing for their children's miracles because it's also their time to receive their miracle. And I pray over the Coopers right now that you would visit their household and that you would assure these Coopers that are here in this room that everything they've been praying for, that you are concerned about too, and you're moving on their behalf. And I pray that they would feel so loved that you know where they live that you know where their house is, you know what their family condition is, and you're going to move in this season on their behalf. And next Christmas will not get stolen for their daughter, Christina. Next Christmas will be a time, this Christmas that's coming up will be a time of so much celebration because there's hope that's full. Hope that's full in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Wow, that's really special. Wow, God is good. Do you guys, do you work in healing somehow? Do you do some healing stuff? So is that your ministry? Is healing ministry part of it? Not necessarily, but that's like one of your passions. I feel like God just is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you um, a, a bunch of testimonies in this season that build your faith. Like what's taken like 10 years to do will happen over the next two years. Like what, in the last 10 years, you've had all kinds of token miracles, but wait till you see the next two years. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you to, the message that's on your, your lives to be heard because the healing miracles are going to be so spectacular in that region. It'll be really beautiful. So bless you, Coopers. Wow, God knew you were going to be here. That's awesome. Wow, God is good. Whew. Okay, one more, and this is going to either be really cheesy or God's here. We'll see. You know, or... I, um, did you ever hear the Eminem song? The real Slim Shady, please come forth. I heard the real Barbara Bush, please come forth. Is there a Barbara Bush here for real? Are you Barbara Bush? Thank God you're here. This is awesome. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus, that there's a Barbara Bush. Um, did, you, did you marry a hillbilly? You did. Because you're from somewhere like, I would say, New Mexico maybe, or somewhere like that. And as, you, as your background, uh, I have a friend, his name is Martin Garcia. Are you a Garcia? So that's your maiden name? But you're Bush now. You're married into the Bush family who's hillbillies. <laughs> In a loving way, I say that. This is, God knows you. And then, um, is it JK? Is, does that make, JK, is that somebody? You call her daughter J. And then is there a Ron? Your husband's Ron, and then is there... Um, Where are you right now? Are you in Arkansas? Does that make sense? You know, I saw it because I saw, um, it's either Edward or Ethan or something like that. Ethan? Ethan. Okay, this is good. And he's a musician. He plays the man. Here we go, Josh. Where's Josh? We need, we need Ethan to come here. But he's doing it on like a semi-professional level. This is like his life right now, right? His band is called Arkansas. This is getting really fun. So I felt like uh, Arkansas, Arkansas, look that up on Facebook. We'll get it. I'm going to look that up after the service. This is so good. Um, Barbara, the, the Lord, not, I, not only did the Lord put in your heart to come here, but he wants to meet with you. And it's not just this word that he wants to meet with you about. He wants to meet with you and he wants to have an encounter with you that you'll never forget. He knows you. He knows your family, and he's going to move on their behalf. But even more so, Barbara, it's your turn. You've been praying for your family, but he wants to move for you. He wants to do some things for your passion, 
your ambition, and you've sacrificed everything in a good way for everyone around you for years. But I keep hearing the Lord say, it's your turn, Barbara. It's your turn. It's your turn to be a burning bush. It's your turn to have a burning bush encounter for yourself. And I release over you the hope for the glory to come to even the family that's in New Mexico, the ones who are in Arkansas and the other places. I pray right now that you would, you would have the hope so some of the burden would lift of prayer because your concerns have been so great. But the Lord's saying, I am more concerned than you are. Cast your cares upon him because as you do, you're going to get a, a, a re-envisioning of life right now for you. I feel like you've been in this season of burden that the Lord's saying, I will take the burden from you, and then you'll see a fulfillment like you couldn't dream of. And even Ethan is going to get this fresh wind of music on his life. He's going to be sent way past Arkansas with this, uh, this musical anointing and this musical gift. And I see him in venues, like, and it's not just in Arkansas or Kentucky. It's like all through the South, and they're about to get some sort of golden opportunity to, to, to come into a level of the greatness that they've felt was on their musical career. And so I bless Ethan and that band. And I pray, Lord, that you would just guide them right into the right opportunity. And I pray that uh, Mama Bush would just feel so encouraged that what she's praying for is even bigger than what she's seen. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Wow. Ronald Bush. Is it Ronald? Ronald Bush. He's in my heart now. I'm going to be praying for him. He's, he's going to have a really special uh, enlightened period, too. That's going to be really good. Wow. Well, God loves you guys, for sure. He knows you're from all kinds of places. That's for sure. I, um, I don't know most of you, so this is good. I realized with Sheree, we went over to one of Bethel's other buildings, and we realized we don't really know most of Bethel. We feel like we do because we come here so much and we love you so much, but we realized, like, this is like a whole empire that we don't know anything about. Like we hear names and we're like, oh, I love them, but I don't really know them. I've seen them on Bethel TV. And then we're realizing when we come here, we spend time with like 12 to 15 people typically. And, um, and there's a whole world here that we don't know. And so I'm really start praying into, I'll be back on October 30th for just Bethel. I'm really praying into the Bethel family just to get to know you more in the spirit and like really um, see if I can encourage you as a family, which is really good just because I feel like there's some more stuff to do. But uh yeah, it's, it's fun to come into a place. You forget how big places are when you come because we just come in and out for meals and stuff. You know, like we come in and out for meals and speak and have a great time and leave. And we're like, yeah, that was glorious. And you guys are like, and we live this and pioneer this glorious culture all the time and work really hard for it. Thank you for noticing. Okay, so I'm going to transition just for a few minutes. We'll do some more ministry. And I'll do a lot of ministry tonight if I don't get to that much more later on today. But I want to talk to you guys. And this, this may be... I don't think it's going to be edgy, but it might be a little edgy because I want to talk to you guys about the part of the season that we're in of bringing God's voice to the world that the church has been offended with. And we don't even know we're offended is the problem. We don't, Christians don't know that we're offended with most of the world right now. And it's really hard because if we don't get over this offense and come into a place of love, then we're not going to have the impact that we're desiring. And so we've been in a season of praying in, uh, are you getting nervous, honey? I'm just kidding. We're like, let's not be edgy when the book comes out at all. Let's just be really complacent and normal. I'm just kidding. Um, we had a joke around the other day because someone said something um, about a people group that we love that nobody likes in the church. And, we, and I was like, I'm going to say this. She's like, don't you dare not tell the book's out. Don't be controversial. Uh, please do. I love, Benny's like, please do. So I want, to th- I want to talk to you guys about John 10.10, 10, or John 10, just John 10, the chapter. We'll go to John 10.10 10 in a second. 
And it's a really interesting chapter because Jesus is addressing the religious communities, addressing the religious spirit, so to speak. And he's comparing himself to two things. One is he says, I'm the good shepherd. And one is he says, I'm a gate. I'm in the sheep gate. And what that meant in their day is that they would have a shepherd would sleep by the gate so that the sheep couldn't wander out or that nothing could wander in. And they literally were called gatekeepers or they were gates. You know? And so he said he was those two things, but he contrasted it to the religious leaders who were the hirelings or hired help. And I want to bring this up because God's about to send us to any place he can get glory. And some of us have anxiety in the places that God would want to go. As a matter of fact, we're trying to keep things so clean that we're having conversations about keeping things out versus pulling things in. And it's really important that you know if you're going to hear from God, he's going to take you outside of what you currently have authority over or what you have belief for. Because he's seeing the whole world and we're only seeing the world we're a part of. You know, like we're a part of a very limited world. And we're seeing that and we don't realize where God wants to take us. And my whole life has been God has taken me past my understanding, past what I'm available to, past what my skill set's for, past what my, my education's for, all those things. Like God takes me to places that are both, like I was in a conference last year with 750 to 2,000 PhD students, depending on the session. I don't even have a college degree. So I was addressing them. They were really nervous because they invited me for, I think it was nine or ten sessions. And I was supposed to speak theologically about the end times. And I don't do that. So that's on a revelation. But they were, by the end of it, they were like, this was our best class so far of our whole school, forever. And I was like, I don't have a PhD. Yeah. So there's like those times when it's glorious, you're like, I'm made for this. But there's other times that he pulls you into something that's uncomfortable to your soul. And because there's been dualism in the church and there's been a religious spirit in the church and there's been as much of glory in God has been in the church, there's been this other fight to this spiritual, you know, um, just counterpart where we substitute knowledge for love. And it happens all the time in the church. And so there's a lot of experts. And the experts will say, don't spend time with that person because Bad company corrupts good character, but Jesus spent time with Judas all the time. And he was friends with Peter, and there's two liars at the banquet table, the the feast. It was two liars right there. One was about to lie, and then one was lying right then, and they're best friends. So these weren't people. He didn't, like, surround himself with people who were the A-type, A-game, going to get it done people. He surrounded himself with people that he saw the Father said were qualified and worthy, that he had to trust the Father that they were. And I say this because in this next revival that happens, just like the last revivals that have happened, we get idealistic and we think sometimes that revivals like Toronto, which was a church revival, which is beautiful. You go there and you soak and you're Christians and you get holier and deeper. But the next revival is going to be more like the even probably crazier than the Jesus people movement where the people group that nobody believed for was the ones who led it, the hippies. And I remember in um, Chuck Smith's church at one point, there was a, uh, one of the leaders had to go into one of the groups and say, oh, you're smoking pot while you're trying to have spiritual experiences reading the Bible as the leaders. And did you know that marijuana isn't actually like a good catalyst for spiritual experience? It's not actually what we should be doing. And they're like, we didn't know that. And this was one of their home group leaders. Like they had to like disciple people in the journey because they just got saved seven weeks before. They brought a group of friends together, started a home group, and they had to figure out like what was right and what was wrong. But there's this weird policing thing that's in Christianity that's always been there that comes from the pharisaical way of thinking, which is we know these things and righteousness looks like rules or righteousness looks like knowing right and wrong and discerning right and wrong. But righteousness really comes from knowing what life is. 
And there was two trees in the garden. There was a tree of life, which we were always allowed to eat from. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And unfortunately, the church is still occupied with knowledge of good and evil. It's so bizarre to me. It's like we so care what's wrong and what's right that we don't always care about life. Most of the hottest topics in the church aren't about life because they're not the root system of the issues in the first place. You might have heard me say, if you've ever heard me at all, revival looks like family that's on fire and connected. Revival, the greatest revivals in, uh, in the world in the future are going to be like when families come together and model what healthy family is in conflict and in love. They'll model it. Well, when you, when you think of that, a family, as a parent, you can't focus on uh, you know, what your kids are doing right and wrong. You have to actually have a vision of who they are, and you have to constantly see them in a the spirit of life of what God's offering them, and you have to almost like soccer mom them in your heart, even if they're not worthy of it. You just, it's natural to do it. It's like my kid's the best one. Like I post pictures of my kids sometimes on Instagram, and I'm wondering why I don't have 3,000 replies of how awesome they are. Because in my heart, they're like the best. You know, like in my heart, I'm like going, your kids are cute, but they have nothing on our kids. Like, and then someone will tell us, like, your kids are some of the cutest kids we've ever seen. And we're like, we're in pride. We are seriously in a spirit of pride. We know. We know this is true. Like, we're like, we're, we're actually embarrassed for you when you don't like our kids' pictures. It's kind of embarrassing that you don't like them. And when you're a loving parent, you kind of get into a realm that's almost delusional parenting. I don't know if you know that when you love, you're almost like, doesn't the world know my child? Like we sent, my wife sent like some headshots of Hartley. They're like, no one in Hollywood's looking for um, white children right now. They want mixed children. And so no one wants white children right now. So they, she sent them and all of our friends who have kids who are actors are like, they don't want white children right now. Maybe wait till she's a little older. But we tried because she was in a little film that our friend Mike over here produced. And she did like a little fashion show. So we're like, let's see if any of the agencies that our friends or kids are in wants her. And they're like, no, we don't need it right now. You know, check back later type thing. And we're like, are they stupid? They're going to fail as a company. Do they not realize that they just passed up? You know, and there's part of us that won't articulate that. But you know, in your head, you're thinking, you know, like, I know what she's thinking. She knows what I'm thinking. It's like, wow, they're probably going to fail. And when you eat from life, it causes you to be aware of how valuable people are around you. And it causes you to feel that value more than you feel anything else. That's when God is love. And it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love accepts all things or that God accepts all things. There's something about people that when you love well, it doesn't matter what they've done or who they've been or what is in their future. You just love them. Love doesn't approve of bad behavior, but it does accept the person no matter what the behavior is. And it's really hard for the church to get this because we want to address issues more than we want to win hearts. We want to tell the world truth, which we think is love, versus show them life, which is proof of love. And you can be right and still kill someone's heart. But if you run after love, you never kill anyone's heart. You might hurt their feelings. You might stop some behaviors. You might put up some new boundaries. And the church, instead of um, managing through a relational structure, unfortunately, we've managed through a structure of rules. And so, and I know Danny's book is so good at this, uh, about the culture of honor, about, about how to do a culture of honor management structure. But when you, when you have a culture of relationship and honor uh, structure, what happens is people learn how to come into your structure and they, they learn your boundaries fast because in a family situation, if, in my parents' house, when I was growing up, they, they told us some of the boundaries, like, hey, our house, we need to keep it safe. So when you keep bringing homeless people into our house, because my sister and I got grounded like six times for bringing homeless people home to spend the night, 
When you bring them in, it destroys our peace and our culture of our house. So you can't bring them home. You can only bring saved people home to spend the night. So then we get them saved on the way home. And they explain, no, you have to bring them home after they've been saved for a while. So then we'd be like, they were saved for three nights. Is that, an, is that a while? You know, they kept having to put up boundaries. But they weren't, they weren't like rigid. They weren't like, you know, um, you cannot do this because this destroys us. We worked together in relationship at what those boundaries looked like because they were accepting us. They knew we had a place of compassion. They knew that it was false compassion or that it was uh, a false mercy or just an over-sympathetic heart that wasn't really solving any homeless people's problems, although we learned a lot. And uh, we also had a lot of stuff stolen from our house, but we didn't know. You know, it's, it's great. But my parents were more concerned with life than they were about rigidity of rules in, in these areas. And so I, I learned a model of what it's like to grow up in an environment where you're looking for what God's doing, not what he's not doing. Where you're focused on people that they're all worthy d- despite what they've done, that you're accepting of who they are, and that there's always a place they can fit in family, even if it's extended family. Now, you might have come from a really righteous extended family. I came from a pretty crazy extended family. And I won't talk too much about it because now a lot of them watch our stuff. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it, you know, I remember I've told the story before when my grandma got saved and um, she hated our Christianity and talked about it prolifically. And her and my aunts, my great aunts would say, you know, like, oh, you're one of those TV evangelists because I was on TV sometimes. And they compared me to only the Jimmy Swagger. That's the only thing that they had in comparison. I'm like, do I even sound like him or look like him? They're like, well, that's the only context, you know? And my grandma one time, she, my, my friend Hona and I, we went to do conferences for like eight months up in Spokane. And so we would visit my grandma every time. And uh, one time after four or five months, she came to one of my meetings and thought I was a master hypnotist and illusionist. She thought I was great. She thought, what are the mentalist? She thought I was a mentalist. And she was like, you are great. You can call things out of people. And you're, how do you do it? Tell me your tricks. I won't tell anybody. You know, she was convinced. (laughs) So months into this, if she was not in my family, I would have never spent time with her again because she's bitter. She doesn't know Jesus. She's frustrating. She's negative on all things. But my heart, because she's family, is completely connected. So I love spending time with her. I was like, oh, let's go visit grandma. And her favorite words were hell and damn it. They just were her favorite words. So one day I came, I come up to her house and we're, we had rented a car and we come up to her house and she slams open her screen door and she's standing there and she's like, well, I'm saved, damn it. And she looks so angry. And Hon and I look at each other and go, what grandma? And she says it again. And I go, grandma, I don't, I don't understand the words coming in your mouth. Can you, what does that mean to you? Like, what is, I'm. And she goes, come on in here. I got to tell you the story. So she didn't even let us like pull her stuff into her room. She's just like, and she has two of her sisters and then one of their best friends on these couches. She goes, I'm going to tell you all the story. She goes, I was watching that TV and I hate that Jan Crouch. She's so fake. And she, she starts oozing bitterness towards Jan Crouch. I love Jan Crouch. I'm like, that's so sad. And like, is there a good point to the story, grandma? Like, why are you watching Christian television? Like, who are you? She goes, and then I, all of a sudden, Jan Crouch brought that young man, Carmen, on. He is not a young man, but I love him. But <laughs> brought that young man. But to my grandma, who's in her 80s at the time, he's a young man. So he comes up, and he starts singing one of those songs. And, oh, he has the voice of an angel. And he started to share why you need Jesus. And it just, it made sense to my heart. And he, he led us through a prayer to accept Jesus into our hearts. And I prayed that prayer. She starts crying. And I'm like, my grandma got saved through Carmen and TBN. I'm like, 
I am, I have, I, I'm in awe of God at this point because I'm like, my grandma who hates all things Christian and all things Christian television watches TBN of all things, and I love TBN, but TBN of all things, and gets saved. And I'm just sitting there listening to her, and she pours out four hours of, I can't even go to the bathroom. She just poured out four hours of all, purged her whole life to all of us, all these secrets she's never told. And then my great aunt Millie goes, this reminds me of when I went down to Angela's Temple and saw Sister Amy Sibyl McPherson. She's Catholic, and she goes, I went down there with a bunch of my Catholic friends, and she goes, that's the only time I felt what I'm feeling in this room right now. In my whole life, I'm like, you saw Amy Sybil McPherson? I'm like, pray for me. You know, like putting her hands on my head. Wait a minute. And my one aunt who'd been a lesbian for over 60 years is just sitting in the chair, just crying the whole time. And I'm just watching like my family, looking at them going, I would have never spent time with any of these people if they weren't my family. And I love them so dearly. And the Lord spoke to me and said, will you love the world this way? Because they're not qualified to spend time with me and I'm not qualified to spend time with them because we don't have the same interests, the same ideas, the same feelings, the same emotions, the same politics, the same anything. But we have family. And there's a part of us that's taken that out of the equation and part of translating God's heart on the earth. You will not hear God powerfully if you are not willing to go to a place that says, it's not us and them, it's us. So we were praying why the whole church was screaming, I hate Caitlyn Jenner, which is breaking my heart right now. And I'm not like, I don't have a sentimentality for homosexual agenda or for a transgender agenda or whatever, but I have a heart for people. And to me, there's not an us and them in this whole situation. So for me, when this whole thing was happening, I remember just being at church and I said, you guys, can we just pray? Because Bruce Jenner is one of my heroes. And, and I'm just, I'm so like sad at how the church is treating him now that he's made this choice because he's so worthy of love. So let's just pray for Caitlyn as she comes out and she does her show and just honor who... God made Caitlin, you know, first. And so I just did this little prayer time at church. And um, so one of our girls, um, she's a manicurist, and she's one of our worship uh, team leaders. And she does celebrity manicures. And so she does, she goes on set and does it like all day. I didn't know they even had that. You know, like you go on set and the girl's nails have to be perfect like all day. So she just keeps painting them all day. Wouldn't you like that, Abby? Wouldn't that be nice to have somebody all day? Here, get my toes real fast, you know. Girls would love that. So that's what she does. And so she, she gets a call from her agency, works for one of the top agencies for that in Hollywood. And, and she gets a call from her agency and they said, there's someone we want you to go work on right now. We're entrusting you because we, we love your value for relationship and love. And that's amazing in itself. But however they said that to her, it's just amazing in itself. So we're sending you because it's a sensitive thing, but we can't tell you who it is. You're just going to show up at this address. And so she starts praying on the way there going, God, like, where am I going? What is this? Like, this is pretty amazing. Like, what is this assignment you have me on? Like, show me. And she starts to remember how the Lord, how her mom named her and what the Lord told her mom and just some of the stuff about her name. And, and she, um, she's getting really excited because she's like, I, this is going to be a divine appointment. Whatever this is, is a divine appointment. And she's falling in love with the woman she's about to do on set. She doesn't know who it is. She gets to the house, the door opens, and Caitlyn Jenner herself opens the door. And our worship leader's name is Caitlyn. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm Caitlyn too. How come you pick Caitlyn of all names? And she's just so in love with Caitlyn Jenner. She's just like, she's had a whole car ride to fall in love with whoever it was. She didn't know who it was going to be. Some of you would not be able to show up at that house ever because you would want to say, repent. Your first words out of your mouth would not be the love of Jesus. Jesus never showed up bad. He always showed up love. He always showed up love, you know? In love. And, and so she shows up and she's just excited. She's like, our Caitlin's screaming, oh, 
I'm Caitlin too. They're hugging. They're like sisters, just like jumping up and down. And she goes, oh my gosh, like, how come you chose Caitlin? And she goes, I don't know. It was just the name that made the most sense to me. And she goes, on the way here, I was thinking about and just praying for the today. I'm a Christian. And she's like, and I, and I thought about why my mom named me Caitlin. And I'm going to tell you the meaning of the name you've chosen, maybe why you've chosen it, because it can brand your identity. And she starts to prophesy over her. And then start saying, and, and my pastor loves you and is so sad for the persecution you're getting. And, and she didn't ever say, I agreed or disagreed. She didn't, you know, and some of you have a hard time with that because you want to get to knowledge of good and evil first when it's about life first. Yeah. And so some of you would have a hard time. Are you accepting her transgendered ways? Some of you would just have a hard time because you can't, you can't enter in, into a conversation without your viewpoint being known. Well, you'll never have the prophetic with that. Because part of it is that some of your viewpoint is wrong. Meaning like, I'm not always right. I'm not saying about morality. I'm always right and wrong on morality because it's clear in the Bible. I'm not talking about that. But the way that I treat people in the midst of my conviction is not always right. And I've, I've been so convicted now for years about how badly I've treated people because I've cared about the knowledge that I have more than I've cared about the love that I, I'm supposed to carry. And so she just said, our pastor loves you. We prayed for you on Sunday. We, as a church, just in love, we, we just want you to know that we love you and that you're loved. And and she's like, I just have never heard that before, that a church would pray for me. That's amazing. I, I'm just, I'm shocked. Like, I'm just in total shock. And she's, and they just had this great day. And she's been on set with her a couple times since. And I just think, like, I just, you know, we prayed. And then God, that same week, sent one of ours to impart a heart culture of love. And I think of Joaquin's story where it's like three people went and said, can I pray for you? And you were the third one. And I think, you know, God may send 20 people to Caitlin, and then all of a sudden one can have a conversation because their heart's won by the 20 that are in love. One can have a conversation that starts to go, what do you think about God's original design for our bodies? Like, let's ask God together about some stuff. And I've prayed with a couple of transgender people, and I've said, let's pray. I want to, because they've asked me, like, what do you think? Do you, I feel like I'm a woman. Do you think that that's, do you think that that's, you know, I feel like God's made me a woman. And I've, in the past, I've prayed twice with transgender people and we've asked God to reveal to them, what was your original design for my body? Was it man or woman? And they would hear God, man, and they could make the, then that choice by themselves because they had the love of the kingdom to back it because they made the decision not based on rules, but based on they saw the desire of the Father in heaven of what he made them for originally. I'm not saying everyone will transform that way, but I'm just saying like a couple of the opportunities we've had have been that way. And then we've had other people who they feel like they are made woman and they're still in our community are connected to us. And that's a really hard line because we're saying, you know, there's people want to divide lines here and here and here and here. And I'm looking at it going, all I know is everywhere I go in the entire world right now, it's not like me. I don't know if you notice that. Like, it's not like one of these things is not like the other. It's like all of these things are not like the other. The world does not look like Jesus right now. And the world definitely does not look like me right now, which is not a, even a good form of Jesus. I'm just an okay form. You know, but I'm just like, there's all kinds of things that would divide me from spending time with people. And God won't entrust me unless I'm willing to be a part of a love equation. Otherwise, I should just stay in the church and not have an opinion about those things outside the church. But if I want to have an opinion about those things outside the church... God, his spirit is going to challenge me then to win a place of love in my church. So when I say a conviction, it doesn't come with judgment and it doesn't come with uh, 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 judgment veiled as love. It's false love. It's an antichrist love because it actually separates people from the message of Christ. And and I I just think of all the scripture stories. It's it's crazy to me. John, John 4, when 
Jesus is at the well and spending time with the Samaritan woman, you know, because he's tired and thirsty and hanging out. And the disciples went off, and every time they left him, the best stuff happened. I was like, if I was John, I would have stayed right next to him the entire time because it's always the best stuff happened. But they left him, and he's with a woman who's illegal to spend time with. You realize that? Everything he did is a message to the current church today still. Illegal to spend time with. Illegal. And somehow he communicated with so much love that when she's listening to him, even about the hard things in her life, she felt destroyed by love. Like her whole system of life changed just by talking to him. And uh, I've had some of those times, because some of you think like, yeah, he called out her sin. Oh, oh, oh. You know, it wasn't like that. I've had times where I'm sitting with people. I remember sitting next to this girl on a bench and I'm looking at her and I'm like, hey, and, and I was uh, maybe 17 at the time. She was 16. And we were waiting for a bus and I, I looked at her and I go, hey, what's, uh, what's going on? And it wasn't like a, hey, what's going on? It was like, just a, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And she, um, she's like, oh, I'm waiting for my foster care mom to pick me up. And so she told me to, you know, wait here. And I go, oh, that's intense uh, that you're in foster care right now. What's going on? And I just, I asked her really like, really intense question. Like as a 17 year old, what's going on? Why are you in foster care? So she tells me a few things. And I said, I, I feel like you got really upset with your mom for um, leaving your father. And then when she got together with somebody else, you hate him. And so you've left the home and you've actually put yourself in a worse position because now you're on a foster care. and You've been in three homes since I get this word of knowledge. You've been in three homes since you've been in there. And it started with you hating. And because you let hate enter your heart, You've seen out of that grit ever since. But if you'll let God come in your life right now, you'll see love. And so I'm telling you this very pointed word, but none of the information is like, you left the home. Oh, judgments and curses on you, you know? It was like a place of like, God knows your decisions and you know your core truth. So if I say your core truth in a place of love and hope that can build you, you'll actually respond. But if I say your core truth out of knowledge, you'll, without any kind of heart connect at all, it creates rebellion in your heart towards me. And this is so important for us to know because, because we, we constantly feel unempowered when it comes to people with issues outside of ours because we don't have the anointing. Because we're trying to move human circumstances and worldly circumstances without God's heart, but with, with God's knowledge. And that didn't work for the Pharisees. It's not going to work for us. It didn't work for anybody in the Bible. And the only people that Jesus consistently rebuked were those people. I've been consistently rebuked by God for a religious spirit. Now it's like we've detoxed so much of religious spirit. I'm, I'm like so happy. Like I just feel like so free and normal. Like I used to feel like I was responsible for everybody in my life, for their holiness too, not just mine. And I was trying to manage them as much as I was trying to manage me. And I was exhausted. I don't know how I did it. I look back and go, wow. And, and I was a representation of most pastors in America. And God changed my heart culture. And he said, I'm bringing you to Hollywood where you're too religious to minister right now. So I have to detox you. I knew what detox was because we took drug addicts into our home and they would have to detox things like meth or like heroin. And some of those are gnarly detoxes. Some of those are like, you're there for a couple days, like where they're sweating it out their body. And they're just like in the most pain you've ever seen. And God said, it's going to hurt like that. And it did. It hurt to detox a religious spirit. It hurt to detox where the Lord's saying, I so want to take you to billionaires. I so want to take you to the poorest of the poor. I want to take you to gang lords. I want to take you to prostitutes, but you're not worthy to talk to them right now because you'll care more about your perspective than you will about my love. I'm like, oops. 
See, everything God does is a different culture than the earth right now. It's a different culture than how humanity does things. And Jesus modeled a culture, and we know that, more than he modeled a principle. As a matter of fact, every story he told was so confusing, but so beautiful. Because it could actually change the culture the way you thought and the way your heart interacted with the world around you. Even how he did miracles was, like every one of them has a message in it. Like when, even, even when he advocated for people that weren't worthy all the time. Like the, you know, the woman who washes his feet and they're like, how dare she? The disciples, his best friends, were constantly misunderstanding the kingdom. So I don't feel so bad. I mean, I wasn't with them face to face and I must understand. But I mean, like, they were like, I mean, Judas, the one that everybody, like, if we had a Judas on our team, we would feel guilty. Yeah, we probably do. But, you know, like, we would feel guilty for entertaining them on our team with what we know. But he would see the Father's heart that Judas is worthy and that Judas had a potential for redemption, so he kept him. And Judas is the one who's like, she just washed her feet with perfume that could have saved a lot of little orphans. How dare she? And Jesus looks at him and goes, you would spend a lot more than this if you knew who I was, Judas. And there's a place inside of us that he's always appealing to life, always appealing to past our principles, past our knowledge, past our experience, past our foundation of what we think is the the ultimate truth. The only ultimate truth is God is love. And inside of that truth, everything's safe. Inside of just, you know, some of the truths that I believe in the past about, and I'm not talking about, again, morality at all. Morality is not a question today. I'm not talking about any of that. But even the way we treat people, I, I remember going to a church up in Oregon and um, the pastor was explaining to me how his daughter had gotten pregnant and how they had made them come in front of the whole church and repent and how they were going through a two-year counseling process before they can get married because they did this terrible deed. And I was laughing going, I, I think they were just teenagers who you know, had hormones. Why are they going through this whole, like, this is a lot of process. This is a lot of hoops to jump through. They're never going to love you or the church again. Like, there's a whole lot of, you know, going on. And he goes, oh, but we have to, righteousness is at stake. And I was like, no, love is at stake. You've lost your daughter's heart to win your church's heart, who are a bunch of religious people who won't follow you after 10 years anyway. So, like, why are you doing this? Like, what, why would you lose her heart to gain? I said, let's pray. And I want you to ask the father right now if this was his will for your daughter. I want you to give me your core belief. And you tell me that this was the father's desire for your daughter to go through this. And he goes, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do. And he just starts weeping. I said, now you need to go up and repent to your church for making your daughter go through this. And so I took him through that, like at a conference. Reconciles with his daughter, holds her, says, I don't know why I abandoned you in my love for the sake of religious principle. I don't know why I did that. I don't know what happened in my heart. I don't know. Honey, I'm crazy. I'm like, I became a religious fanatic. I thought this is what I was supposed to do. The mom's like, I don't know if I believe this because she wasn't part of our first conversation. I think we did something right. This is all public. I think we did something right here. And and, and, uh, I said, well... Here, all I know is that I asked the daughter, I said, do you feel like your parents chose you over ministry or ministry over you? She goes, ministry over me. She starts weeping as a mom and goes, I can't believe I, we've ever chosen ministry over a daughter. I love you, honey. You know, I'm so sorry. Then the pastor confesses, I never felt to be a pastor. I'm supposed to be a businessman. And they left the church. But that's beside the point. Oops. That's when you know there's a prophet in the house. We ruin everything, right? It's like, if it's in balance, it'll ruin. I want to say a series of names, and I want you to close your eyes real fast. Just close your eyes. And I want you to get in touch with if you have any of God's love for them by your heart response, okay? So I'm going to say some names. And I want you to just feel like, is there more 
of knowledge of what I've heard about them, or is there actually a foundation of love in my heart? And a lot of us aren't going to graduate this, but it's okay. Miley Cyrus. How do you feel about Miley Cyrus in your heart? Just answer yourself. You're, this is, no one's getting exposed. Don't worry. President Obama. Oprah. Hitler. Walt Disney. William Branham. John Wimber. Justin Bieber. Ronald Reagan. Now what just happened in your hearts most likely is that the ones that you agree with and that you like, it's like, Ronald Reagan, I love Reaganomics. Oh, I love Ronald. Oh, he was such a good, please, Lord, please raise up a spirit of Ronald Reagan on Trump when he becomes president. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I should have said Donald Trump. I should have said that one. And then you have someone like Obama, who many of you have mixed feelings about. If you're a minority community person here, you might be like going, yes, it was awesome. And some of you are going, are you serious? Miley Cyrus, who has had a public breakdown in front of all humanity right now, and is hard to love by the church, very hard to love by the church because she came from the church. So it's easy to say what she's not. Our response shouldn't change based on our emotions or what we know or what we've heard. If there's a place inside of you that went, ew, or, uh, or immorality, or whatever, if there's a place inside of you that, that listed sins or offenses, or who they are not, then you know that there's something inside of you that's not operating out of the spirit of love yet towards a certain people group. If you felt sentimental for somebody like John Wimber, or you felt sentimental for someone like Reagan, it might be that you need to learn how to apply that same affection by choice to the rest of the world. Because Jesus in John three sixteen says he came for the whole world, that they would be saved. So he didn't have a differential based on people's behavior. He didn't have a differential based on people's politics. He didn't look at the world and go, that segment over there, you know, like North Korea, I didn't come for them. I actually, I'm going to avoid them because they're really hard for me. Emotionally, they drain me. I realize there's only 400 ministries in the whole world towards the entertainment industry right now, and yet we're holding the highest level people, people who can make decisions by one tweet that can sometimes be more influential than the president's tweet. We're holding them responsible as though they should be leaders in the church. And we're mad at them when they do things in society, and we're confused by them because there's always 20 stories about each one of them. If, you've, if you hear about Jay-Z and Beyonce right now, You might love them or hate them or might have heard this. You might have heard they're going to go through a divorce. You might have heard so many things. But there's very few people who hold popular culture figures in a balanced way in their heart of love. And so because they're so sensationalized. And Christians are supposed to be literally the ones who are in society as fathers and mothers who are unshakable because they're a root in the ground of love and value. And so when we hear things, it bounces off us. It doesn't cut us down and it doesn't shake us. We should have Supreme Court rulings that come out, and instead of going, oh, no, we got to react to this too, we should be the ones that go, love never changes, and truth never changes. And so when people come to us, they're not going, what do we do? And we're going, I don't know. I guess we got to tell this truth again just in case someone didn't hear it before. And reactionary um, attitudes come from a lack of love. Conspiracy is a lack of love. Did you know that? 
critical spirit is not critical analysis. And the church is allowed to have a critical analysis, but if you inject the critical spirit in there, which is when you're not looking with the eyes of God, what happens to people's lives in the midst of that is that you destroy their ability to have fruit. You destroy their ability to have freedom. And I say this as a foundation for the prophetic. If you're going to look in the spirit into the Father's heart today, he's going to show you some things that your mind not, may not be ready for yet. I've met with um, several fallen ministers who have not picked back up yet, and maybe they never will, who were responsible for some great, great, great things and who are now hated and despised. You're like, if I mention some of their names, you'd be like, I don't know if they're okay. I don't know what to do with my heart in that. When you have love, you, you, don't, you don't have that anymore. You don't have the instability. When it's about the tree of life, when it's about love and what Jesus did on the cross, you don't, in your heart, go, I don't know what to do with my love towards that person anymore. I'm, are they worthy of my love? Are they worthy of affection? Like, I'm really screwed up. I heard like when certain you know, revivalists have you know, had a fall, there's like whole groups of people who are like, I'm not even going to walk with God anymore because of their failure. And I'm like, wow, that's profound. But I've met with several of them, and it's really interesting because some of them are just as anointed as they were before. Because the gifts of God go without repentance. You know, they're, they're just as anointed. It's really interesting to watch. I was with one of them who is super prophetic, met with more presence than probably any other Christian in our generation. I'm sitting down with him. He left his wife for a younger woman. Uh, he's in his 50s and she's in, well, now he's in his 60s and she's in her 20s. And he uh, was one of the most profoundly prophetic people in the 80s. Most of you wouldn't even know his name. I'm not going to say his name. And I'm sitting across from him and, I'm, and his new wife, who he had left his other wife for, and he'd left his other kids for, for, you know, and he's completely in delusional reality that this is all okay. Like that he's, this is my new family. And he's now a businessman because he had contacts from the ministry in South America where he was able to start business. So he's successful again. And he's completely in delusional reality about everything that happened. Like it's all okay now. You know, he's, he hasn't gone through inner healing or counseling or anything. I'm just sitting with him and I'm, and I'm listening to his heart and it wasn't like I can go, yay. But at the same time, I love who he is, and I, I could connect to him. And so we spent some time together. And it's not somebody I would spend a lot of time with, but it was just, I was just wanted to say hi, you know. And I remember coming back to the States, and I went straight to a group of people where he came from. And they were like, we heard you spent time with so-and-so. How was it? I said, you know, we had a good time. And it was, it was, I'm glad I spent time with them. And they were like, basically, you can't do this conference unless you repent of spending time with him. Because he hurt them, because there's a wound. Some of you have been wounded by something that happened in the entertainment industry to your children, through music. Some of you have been wounded by something that happened through financial embezzlement in a church. Some of you have been wounded by something, and as soon as you have that wound in your background, if you have not chosen love and to move past it, you can't see clearly. I love James Ryle's story from years ago where he said, um, a friend of his was was when it was walking past his son's room and he hears his like four-year-old son talking to somebody and he comes in, opens the door and goes, who are you talking to? Because it was such a prolific conversation. I said, the angel of the Lord. And he goes, where was he? Was he just leaving? He goes, no, he's standing right there. And he goes, ask him why I can't see him. And he says, he told me it's because of what you look at on, on uh, magazines. You can't see him. And he's like, I repent. And he's just like crying because he's realizing his son's having this experience, but he's into pornography and he can't see the angel of the Lord. He's like, I repent, I repent, I repent. And, and he said, the little boy goes, it's not because of just the, the stuff you look at in magazines. It's because your heart in the midst of what you're looking at. 
And so he's like praying, what does that mean really? And James Riles interpreted it to him and he went to him and it said, you know, what that really means is that where you let your perspective go guides your heart. And if you're not focused on what God's doing and you're not focused on who you are in God, you're focused on who God's not and who people aren't. Therefore, you won't see in the spirit. You won't, you'll miss your visitation because you won't be focused on the person in front of you is your visitation and they don't look like God. So in the book, I share a couple of stories. One of them was I was walking past, um, I was going to Starbucks and we were doing an outreach one morning on a Sunday morning and I was walking past and it was so, one of those days where I was in a hurry, I was so tired. I'm not a good morning person, even still with my girls. And I'm walking past, it's kind of like, oh, I look like I have a hangover. I don't drink and get hangovers, and, but I look like I have a hangover. People, sometimes my, even my team are like, your eyes are bloodshot, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know why I look this bad. I just look this bad. And so I'm walking to Starbucks and there's this woman and I can hear her when I have my windows down and I can hear her going, help me, help me. Everybody's walking by her. It's a very full Starbucks in Hollywood. And they're going, help. she's saying, help me, help me. And then no one's helping her. So I'm getting out of my car and I'm gonna go talk to her, but she crumples into a ball and starts weeping. And I'm like, I'm gonna go buy her some food and coffee, then I'll talk to her. So I go inside and I buy some food and I buy some coffee and I come back out. And now I know from working a little bit on the streets with people that this is an old timer prostitute. So she's a prostitute for other homeless people. She's not a prostitute for anybody except for other street people. And so she's been out there for a long time. She's wearing it, she has a wig, she has the wigs crumpled. She has makeup that's really badly done and it's all over her face right now because she's, and she's been beat up. So she has a black eye that's current and her, she has bruises on her shoulders. And I'm like, oh, this woman's been through it today. So when I come back to her, I give her the food. I go, hey, this is for you. Can I talk to you for a minute? She's like, you bought me food? And I said, yeah, and coffee too. She's like, you're an angel. And she hugs me and I said, as she's hugging me, I said, uh, I hear the Lord say, tell her she's not invisible. And I've just, I didn't, I've never thought of that before. So I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm a Christian and I just want you to know you are not invisible. She breaks in my arms like level 10, like as if it's like the biggest breaking in her life so far. You know, she breaks in my arms and she goes, you know, cries and cries. It was like 15 minutes. People are walking by, looking at me, hugging a prostitute affectionately. <laughs> if you care about your reputation, you're never gonna see the kingdom. And it doesn't look good. It never looks good. Side story, I was hugging a tranny prostitute in Honolulu and two cars of the Christians from a conference that I was doing went by and I was just going to Subway and they're looking at me and he's crying in my arms and, he's, and I'm hugging him and they're just like, it was in the red light district and they're like, that's Sean Bolt. He's hugging that tranny prostitute. But I think they're crying. Is this a God thing or is this, what is this? You know. And the pastor was like, you should never go alone to a red light district. I'm like, I went to Subway. I had to walk through the red light district. You didn't feed me that night. You know, like, I needed something, you know. I was hungry. Anyway, so, uh, so I'm hugging her, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, and, and she, she stops crying. I go, can I help you in any way? She goes, you've done more for me right now than anyone's done for 10 years. And she said, I, I haven't had one person say a nice word to me in over a year, and I'm not exaggerating. I said, I'm so sorry. That's just, you're, you have so much value. I'm so sorry. And she goes, no, I can feel God's love through you. I haven't felt this in a long time. And I left. And it was one of those moments where I just knew, like, that's all I have. That's all. I asked her if I could drive her anywhere, if she needed help, you know, getting around. She said no. And so I just left. And I just remember, like, walking away and going, that's enough. Love's enough. I have no codependency. I don't need to do more for her. Love is enough. And... And it never occurred to me until I told this story somewhere else 
with some friends because we're doing outreach. So I was doing outreach training. Like, just love people, even if it's like, you know. And they're like, but what if someone sees us hugging a prostitute? And they've literally asked that. And I was like, I've, that never had occurred to me in my whole life. I was like, oh, yeah, they're prostitutes, and you're hugging them, uh-huh. I never thought of that. And they're looking at me like, you've never thought of that? I literally have never thought of that until they had asked the question. I was like, oh, like when the, the pastor goes, what if someone saw you? Like our team saw you hugging the tranny prostitute. And what if somebody saw you? What would your wife think? And I go, I don't know. Well, your wife wouldn't want you out there. So I call up Sheree. I'm like, hey, do you remember? I was like, hey, do you care if I'm like out on the red light district alone, like ministering to prostitutes and stuff? Do you care like if that happens like spontaneously? She's like, why would I care about that? And he's listening. He's like, you're married to a different woman than I am. You know, like, <laughs> way different woman. There's a way bigger difference between advocating for somebody and loving somebody. And I'm not asking you to advocate for somebody or their lifestyle. I'm asking you to be open to the Father to speak. And when he speaks, to taking you outside of what you have authority for. Because I get thrill, uh, a thrill from what I get to do in the church. It's really a lot of fun. I get scared to death of what I do in the world, but it's a lot of fun. Like when, I, when I'm hanging out with people and, and I'm prophesying to them, I don't know who they're going to be or what it's going to be like. I'm just, you know, I get the same kinds of words of knowledge for people who I don't know. And I've had people get mad at me. I've had people leave the room, leave a restaurant because they're mad because I have revelation for them. And all I'm trying to do is love, you know, be love. And, and. But at the same time, it's still so thrilling. I'm like Joaquin where I just see God and I'm like, wow, I won, even though I lost, like the person left. This is awesome, you know. Everything is awesome. John 3.17 says he came to put the world right back again. Most of us know this word sozo is is how he came to restore all things, basically. And it means to deliver, protect, heal, preserve, or save. It's to make whole again. And if that's in us, then we won't be afraid of what's not whole because we'll know it's undone. So when we look at people and, and they have stuff, it's not scary to us. If you can't ever go to death row and love someone on death row, you're not accepting the fact that they killed somebody by loving them because they're already in jail. But it's hard if they're not in jail and you know they're, they've done evil. It's hard to have your heart and when it's not positioned so well, when it's not a Christian minister going to visit someone on death row, but it's somebody who's like right across from you who maybe they're not legal Christianly to love openly. And yet God's saying, that's where I want you to go. Last story, we sent, um, and I've told this story here at Bethel before, but we sent uh, Cindy and and, um, Tim McGill, who are four square pastors, we sent them down to um, the porn convention in Los Angeles. They wanted to go minister there. So we said, we'll send you, because they didn't know where they, because the four square at the time didn't know if they wanted to do anything about that. So we said, we'll send you, we'll pray. And then Ray and Denise Hughes went. Did you guys know about that? So Ray and Denise Hughes and Cindy and Tim McGill and a couple other team members went to the L.A. porn convention to see what God would do. And we believe you have to send fathers, not just mothers, because these, these girls need fathers. They, the guys need fathers. They need men to go. Like, all the anti-human trafficking people who go are women, because no one wants to go inside the red light district into a strip club. I've gone in the middle of the strip clubs inside in the Thailand, and, like, I've been there in the rooms watching the girls strip, and I'm, as a father, going in. And so if you have a pornography issue or a massive lust issue, you can't do this, because it's going to be tempting for anybody but I'm going there with a spirit in my heart of love for them as a father going, if this was my daughter, how would I treat them and honor them? So I'm already in my spirit of father to them, and they need that because if they see a man, it'll break them who's not looking at them with lust. It'll break him completely. So Ray Hughes went, he was nervous about going. We're like, Ray, you could totally go. This isn't your struggle. It's not your battle. Go. You know, and most Christians would be like, I might get a spirit. You know, I don't, I don't understand that. But 
I'm like, no, you already had a spirit if it opens up. You know, like you already had choices in your heart, you know. So anyway, so they go there and they're standing outside because it's sold out. They're standing outside and, and Cindy goes up to her guy. And she goes, hey, have you had a reoccurring dream? And he goes, yeah. She goes, tell me the dream. I'm going to tell you what it means. I know from God what it means or what the creator, from the creator what it means. So he goes, okay. And he's, he's in a hurry, but he's telling her the dream. And she goes, I'll tell you what it means. And she tells him the interpretation from God to this unsaved guy who ends up being a porn investor. And he's like crying and like she's hugging him. And he's like, why are you guys here? And she's like, we're just doing this. We're revealing the love of God to people all around. And he's like, well, how come you're not inside? She goes, we can't get in because we, it's sold out. And he goes, well, my guys didn't come from my company. You can wear their badges. So they went in as porn investors. <laughs> and she's texting me going, is this legal? And I go, I don't know. Do it. Like this isn't, this isn't a model. Like we're not going to reproduce this and we're not trying to lie to anybody, but do it, you know? So they go in and they're porn investors and so everyone wants to talk to them. So she's like going up to girls and going like, hey, is, have you had any like nightmares or dreams lately? I want to interpret them for you. And they would tell her things. Well, it gets to the point where she gets to one girl. We have this on video, which is really cool. But she goes up to one girl who's an African-American girl and she starts whispering in the girl's ear and the girl was in like in a photo shoot, but comes over to her and she's like, hey, and she interprets a dream and starts talking to her and the girl goes, I know who you are. I know who you are. And she's like, what? She goes, my dad's a pastor. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. And Cindy goes, God came for you here. He sent us for you here. And she's like, I can't believe it. I, can't, I never thought I would be found here. I hate doing what I'm doing. And she leaves. Like literally leaves the industry. Like just leaves. And I think we got to get past what's legal and illegal. And we don't do stupid things. If you're an alcoholic, you don't go to a bar to minister. But, you know, there's a place inside of us that's afraid of so much of the world that we aren't beneficial to it. If you're afraid of the Obama administration, you'll never give it any benefit at all. If you're afraid of Kim Jong-un or ill, you'll never give him any benefit at all. And we're coming in the opposite spirit that says, we're going to come in and we're going to support what God's doing in countries despite who's in leadership, but with them. Not despite them, like not with them, but with them. We're going to honor who they are in leadership. We're going to come in and still have great kingdom effect. So love is your key. And, and I feel like many of you are like, going, I want to go on the prophetic. Well, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to get offended a lot and, um, by what God tells you. And he's going to tell you to do things that you're going to go in your heart. I can't do it. I don't know if I can do that. It's not like it's, he doesn't make it easy. He's not like, go tell that nice lady over there with the three kids how beautiful she is and how beautiful the kids are and that's it. He's like, he puts you in the middle of a cancer situation where you have no knowledge or understanding at all and asks you to cry with those who cry and love on them. I mean, he puts you in the middle of trauma and crisis. He puts you in the middle of like people celebration moments. I mean, like he put, uh, you know, I'll end with this. I know we're over time, but um, Sheree, uh, I mean, Sheree, a friend of mine and, and I went to a hotel and we were walking through and there was a wedding going on and the Lord told us to go in the wedding and prophesy over the bride. And we're like, that's really awkward. That's, we're not dressed for a wedding. We're dressed for the beach. That's really awkward. So we, um, we're walking by and we both heard it. So we're, we're looking, I'm looking there and the Lord said, she's not convinced and this is, this is a good decision. She's not convinced. I want to help her in her decision. And so we're walking by and she happens to be doing a photo shoot on the stairs downstairs. And I go, hey, are you the bride from out there? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, can we talk to you real fast? She's like, sure. She's like, just excited. And our friend's like, going, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. She's like, thank you. You know, of course. And then I go, hey, I don't know if this makes sense, but I felt like God had us come here today 
to, walk, to go to the beach here instead of another beach? Because we're supposed to tell you that you're making a great choice. And he wants you to know that he thought of this before time even began, that he loves you enough to tell you, sends along your wedding day to tell you you're going to be okay. She starts weeping, weeping, and says, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Like I've had, I come from three generations of divorce. Like I just, all day long, I was like, I can think about, is this going to last? And I'm like, you're way more powerful than divorces in your background. And it was just one of those moments where I just went, this is who God is. You know, and I feel like some of you just need to be available to moments that are beyond you. I want everyone to stand. Sorry I went a little over you guys. Uh, I'm going to do all the ministry tonight just because I did some already. But I want to pray for you to hear from God. And I want to pray for God to take you outside of any box you're in. And I still have boxes. So like any box you're in, I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would take off any religious box off our mind or our frame where we've loved truth more than life, God. You are the spirit of truth. So I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about like religious principles more than we, we've loved the lives that are on the earth. I pray that we would love the lives so much that we would feel like they're our family, like my grandma and her, my aunts in the living room, that we would treat everybody like they're our family, God, that we would start to have a new respect for humanity, that that would be the landing strip for the greatest revelations the earth has ever heard. I pray that, Lord, the, the types of quality of revelation that you're about to give out are to the least of these, and I pray that we'd be ready to be with them. Thank you that we were the least of these at one point. And you brought us into a place of great grace. I pray that you would just give us the grace to believe that for the whole world around us. And I pray that love would just become the capstone of your heart right now in Jesus' name. Amen.